welcome to the My Family Coach podcast. I'm Claire and in each episode you'll find me interviewing a guest expert to find out more about the tricky world of child behaviour, all in handy 15 minute-ish bite-sized chunks. Then I'll send you away with three handy practical tips you can use at home. And if this episode leaves you wanting more, you can watch, listen and read from our wide range of resources while you're on the go on the My Family Coach website. I'm joined today by Stephanie Larson. Stephanie is the owner of Sensationally Thriving Children Therapy and has been an occupational therapist for 12 years. She has worked in a variety of paediatric specialities, including home care, schools, private practice, sensory integration and outpatient rehabilitation. She has certifications in therapeutic listening, astronaut training, SOS approach to feeding and is an advanced mentored clinician in the Star Institute for Sensory Processing. Most recently, she's offered parent consultations and education to help parents understand the complexities of sensory processing. And handily enough, today, Stephanie and I are talking about sensory processing. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm really well. I was, uh, when you logged on, I knew that we were going to have a time difference, but I felt like shrouded in darkness might be the phrase. What what time is it where you are? So it is one o'clock in the afternoon and it's sunny unusually here. It's beautiful. I can see the sun beaming in. Yeah, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, Makes a difference. But even with our time difference, I'm really, really pleased that we've been able to find the time to speak together. And today we're talking about sensory processing and we're going to focus on an element of that. But first of all, like we always do on the podcast, if you could recommend a book on this topic. Sure. So I love the book. It's called Sensational Kids, and it's by Lucy Jane Miller, um, who is quite um, uh, famous in sensory processing research. Uh, She has her own clinic and research foundation and does a lot of training. Um, But this book is very much geared towards parents in really breaking down what sensory processing is in an easy to understand way. So yeah, so having it broken down in a way that's really digestible is is super helpful, isn't it? Because I, I was very transparent with you when we, we spoke off air. I, I, many of the topics we talk about on the podcast, I've got quite a good handle on. This is an area where I was like, okay, <laughs> um, I can, you know, touch the surface. But, you know, when we go a bit deeper, um, my knowledge is lacking. So I'm really excited to um, learn a bit more from, from you across the interview. And I'm sure parents, carers, um, listening will be the same. Because even actually when we're thinking about the topic, you know, what, what is sensory processing? Cause we're already starting with something that is quite a tricky um, phrase, isn't it? And, and mm-hmm. people may not have an understanding exactly what that is. Yeah. So um, everyone has sensory needs, right? We all have sensory systems. Um, most people know of the five main ones, touch, sight, hearing, um, uh, taste and vision. Um, So sensory processing is how your body and your nervous system interprets all of that sensory input you're receiving from your environment um, and reacts to it in an appropriate or uh, dysfunctional way. By dysfunctional, we kind of spoke a little bit off air about someone being under responsive in their sensory processing. Would that be an example of uh, dysfunction in uh, sensory processing? 
Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, typically um, you are interpreting that sensory input and you're able to accommodate it to go about your daily life. So an example would be um, somebody who's in a meeting and they're always tapping their pencil or wiggling their pencil. Mm. That, that's their way to interpret whatever sensory input they're feeling, noises, discomfort, and adapt to it so they can focus uh, to their meeting. Sometimes children have more difficulty with that and they're mm -hmm. not able to get, um, they need more of this input or they maybe react too strongly to it. So they either react not strongly enough or too strongly. And that's where the over or under responsivity comes. And then they have difficulty with the reactions in response to that. And so, yeah, so it's interesting because it really feeds into, um, kind of um self-regulation as well mm -hmm. and I was mm -hmm. interested when I was reading and researching a bit for interviewing you and looking at your experience but how much there is a crossover around um emotional regulation and sensory processing could you tell me a bit more about that link because I'm yeah I'm interested in that it was interesting seeing that before uh, chatting to you Sure, yeah. So oftentimes um, what we call dysregulation is when the body either, like I said, doesn't have enough input or too much, and it causes this fight or flight response where you either have this uh, fight reaction of crying or uh, running or screaming or more of a flight reaction, which can look like falling asleep or shutting down or avoiding. Um, so that emotional response is a child's ability to accommodate to the sensory input they're receiving. And mm. each, each child has a different um, way to do that based on their sensory profile. Uh, and I have a really good example, um, mm. a, cup, a cup analogy that might be helpful to kind of determine the different profiles. Yeah, so what's the, what's the cup analogy, Stephanie? Sure, so if you think of your body of a cup and as the day goes on, you get sensory input through your day. So you would get um, the noises you hear, um, maybe you wake up and you're hungry, so your, your stomach hurts or it's too loud in the cafeteria, um, you're tired. Um, those are all sensory inputs. So the being added to the cup. So a child with a more typical nervous system has, you know, like a coffee cup size of input. And as the day goes on, they get all this input and they're kind of able to accommodate it and they don't re reach that point of dysregulation. They're able to go about their life without, without much challenge. Um, a child who is a sensory under responder, um, they have a much bigger cup. So they, it's a little counterintuitive because they're under responders, but they have a bigger cup. So they need more inputs. Yeah. So they need, um, they might be seeking some more of this input. They, the noises are, are going into their cup. Um, they're not responding as quickly until their cup is filled and it takes longer to fill their cup. So it takes longer to fill the cup, but is that why? So I work with some individuals that inevitably will have sensory processing difficulties, but is that why um, in some settings you might get children that are really like screaming to try and fill our metaphorical cup up a bit to, mm -hmm. to, to get that feedback? back is it is it that kind yes, of thing yes it could be um often this seats with kids who are always moving 
um, always jumping, always on the go, always like touching things, um, spin and spin and spin and never get dizzy. So always seeking that input. It's because their, their cup, quote unquote, is bigger. So they need more of this input to kind of meet their, their threshold, their, their status, you know, their just right feeling. And, then, and thinking about uh, children that might be in the home environment. So parents that might have children that um, may or not have a, a diagnosed or undiagnosed sort of sensory uh, processing uh, challenge. So the sorts of behaviours that they might see at home would could be if it was under-responsive. I'm doing loads of miming in Stephanie's on, on the podcast today. It doesn't work, does it, with, with no video? But like touching lots of things, maybe running around, unable to sit still, like... Uh, banging hand against heads that is it that kind of thing mm-hmm. that parents carers might see at home yes absolutely so these are the kiddos who maybe are jumping off couches um maybe bumping into their wall whether they they are doing that on purpose or they just kind of have this lack of their body awareness um kids who might chew things a lot chew on their coats chew on their sleeves um kids who love to s- swing or spin or just seek a lot of movement across all the senses, whether it's taste or vision, touching, um, always seeking things. Um, So they're definitely craving this extra input to fill their cup to kind of stay, stay regulated. And that's hard as a parent. Yeah, that must be exhausting. Um, and and I'm guessing that every, I mean, I'm really going to town with this cup uh, metaphor. Um, you haven't met me before, but I love a metaphor. But I'm guessing that everyone has a different sized cup, though, and there is no kind of normal with it. It's Yes, um, exactly. The challenge comes when uh, it's hard for the child to, you know, participate in their daily activities, whether it's school or home or where the sensory behaviors become so much that it interferes with their learning um, or play. That's where um, we would, you know, seek more support. And I'm thinking about a parent carer that might be at that stage there of thinking about, okay, this is maybe crossing over where I I need a bit more support with it. What kind of things help uh, children that might be, we're really focusing on the under-responsive side, aren't we? What what kind of things help? Yeah, so um, the favorite activity we recommend is called heavy work. And I'm not sure if that's been talked about before here. No, I don't think it's, um, we've talked a little bit about um, sensory um, processing, but actually on the opposite side to under-responsive. So this is really interesting. Yeah. Tell me a bit more about um, heavy work. Yeah. So heavy work is any kind of activity that puts resistance um, on your body or um, your joints. So this could be pushing, pulling something heavy, literally carrying something heavy, jumping, um, there's lots of child-friendly ways um, that are playful to get heavy work. And what it does is it um, activates your proprioceptive system. So another kind of sensory buzzword. Um, and proprioception tells you where your body is in space. Mm. So it's actually another sense that isn't often talked about, but it's located in your joints or your skin. Um, and it really helps children know whether whether they're standing or sitting, just where your body is. Um, so this heavy work activities provide input to that system. And just generally, that is very calming and organizing. 
So if you think of a child who is unsure of where their body is, that's not a good feeling. That's very, mm -hmm. you know, anxiety provoking. So by activating the system and helping them learn where their body is can be very calming and regulating it for their system. And I'm thinking about some of the individuals I work with on the autistic spectrum who might uh, take um, socks and shoes off and lots of kind of like walking on toes to to get feedback. Is that the, the same kind of vein of someone trying to get that sensory feedback? Yes, absolutely. So oftentimes toe walking um, starts because children like that bouncing feeling, which is actually can be part of your proprioceptive system. Um, it also does a little bit of what we call the vestibular system, which is the swinging motion. So they're kind of um, both intertwined a little. But yes, the toe walking kids will do that because it feels good to their body. They, they feel that movement, they feel that bouncing. And then sometimes it's hard to get out of that habit. But yeah, they're seeking that input. It's really interesting because I, I mean I don't know the science behind it. Whenever I've seen it, I I have assumed it's about something sensory, but more the connection to the ground. And I never thought about it of the actual motions that it creates. It's really interesting. You can see that I'm stoked. I was like I knew I was going to be really curious about this whole topic, yeah. Yeah. but I did I I did say off air that it was something that I think parents and carers might um, question as well. That I know. Um, working in the settings that I've worked in um, questions and I hear the the phrase mooted around about sensory uh, diets mm -hmm. and I just wondered if you could tell us a bit more about the function of those and what, what they are for. Sure so um, sensory diets are a kind of schedule of activities such as heavy work activities um, or different activities to the tactile system um, that a parent can do with their child at kind of scheduled times throughout the day to help them maintain this just right arousal level. Um, the thing about sensory to remember is the inputs you have kind of accumulate throughout the day. So often children are totally um, regulated in their school day, but then they get home, right? And have this big meltdown because you offer them the wrong type color cup or something. And sometimes that's because all the sensory input they've been having throughout their day is just accumulating and filling up their cup. And then they get home and their cup overflows. So that is a really um, common uh, situation. So having sensory diets can help keep them keep their cup from overflowing less quickly so it keeps the equilibrium if if yeah. uh, if you like uh, i'm so embarrassed because i thought um sensory diets were um like a special food that or or actual physical foods that might help to keep someone regulated i'm sure other people think that as well sometimes right yes that's a common thought and i actually like to not call it a diet but more call it a sensory lifestyle um yeah. and that's kind of like the new trend um for a couple reasons one is so it's not confused with actual food um two is it's a lot of pressure for parents to have to do something at a prescribed time every day i mean there's already a lot going on so i like to look at it as teaching parents different tools that they can incorporate into their lifestyle once they kind of learn how their child responds to all these sensory calming um, or alerting activities. And they can kind of pick and choose from their toolbox based on their child's needs. That is a really nice way of looking at it and takes the pressure off because I'm sure parents care is listening. Um, sometimes you, you, your cup, your metaphorical cup can get full um, with kind of supporting someone that, that does have challenges. So 
making it easier and less prescriptive, I'm sure, um, is, is well received. Um, Stephanie, I can't believe that we're already at the point where we need to start thinking about top tips. I literally could grill you all day about this and you'll be like sick of me asking questions and being curious about it. Um, but I wondered if you could give us three top tips uh, for parents, carers listening. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I think um, I just said this one, but I want to reiterate it is the idea that sensory input accumulates throughout the day. I think that's really important to know. So, you know, if your child's having a hard time understanding that it could have been something that happened throughout earlier in the course of the day and may not be directly related to what's happening in that moment. So just that sensory input accumulates. Um, the other tip we kind of talked about was just how sensory dysregulation sometimes can look like sleeping or avoiding or shutting down and isn't always that classic uh, running around crying, screaming or hyperactivity. It can um, also be more of a uh, subtle uh, just avoiding the situation. And then I guess my third tip would be to think of a sensory diet as a sensory lifestyle, as something that you can just incorporate as needed into your daily life. And the whole family can do it too. It can, you know, everyone has different sensory needs, every child, every adult. And I think, you know, learning about what works and what doesn't work can kind of help the whole family system. Absolutely. And I love that point about everyone having sensory needs. Um, I often mention to people that I work with, I always wear bamboo cotton socks because I feel like a better human being when I wear soft socks. So I think it is true that that we all um, have those. What a fascinating um, example there. And thank you so much, Stephanie, for your time. And we'd really like to get you back on soon. Yes, thank you very much. This has been great. You've been listening to the My Family Coach podcast. Thank you for joining us as we lift the lid on the challenging world of child behaviour. There's heaps more helpful advice for all your parenting needs on the My Family Coach website. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.